You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. 2 Samuel, please. 2 Samuel chapter number 12. Before we read this chapter, I'd like to tell you the story of what is going on, and you probably know it. Chapter 11, the Bible says that David one time, when, when kings were going forth to battle, David did not go with them. He was really, if you look at eventide, he, at eventide, he, he got up and was wandering around, wandering around his house. That starts at 3 p.m. So he was, looks like he was being a little lazy, a little complacent, giving in a little bit. And so he gets up and he starts walking around his roof and he looks out. And I don't know if, if it was a rooftop thing. I don't know if it was through a window. But somehow he saw something that he should not and he had no business of looking at. There was a woman named Bathsheba who was washing herself in a house nearby. And David sees this. And instead of turning away, instead of saying, well, I'm David, the man after God's own heart. I'm not going to look at that. Instead of do, and realize he had wives too. Instead of turning away, he turns to his servant and says, come over here. Who, who is that? Who is that? And he, the servant said, that's Bathsheba. And David had to have known her. Uriah was, was one of his mighty men. Uriah was Bathsheba's husband. And then David takes it a step further and he says, you know what? Bring her to the palace. And the servant goes and brings her. And I don't know what David was thinking I don't know if David was just following uh, some impulse that he had. I, I don't know why he did what he did. I guess I do know why he did what he did. But he brought her to the palace there. And you know the story. After a little bit of time, they committed adultery, an affair. I believe both were complicit in it, but I believe David was much more at fault as the king and leader of the nation. But you know what they thought to themselves? They thought, you know what? If you notice the story, they didn't say anything to anybody. Bathsheba just went back home, and it was their little secret. Shh, Bathsheba, this is, this is between me and you. Maybe they even thought this was a mistake. Maybe they even thought, we shouldn't have done this. I'm married. I'm married. I'm the king. I can't. You go home. Don't say anything. You know what? They didn't say anything. It was a secret. Shh, just a secret. And so you know what happened after that? A couple weeks later, Bathsheba sends word to David that she's expecting a child. And now that secret is about to be revealed because her husband's been away at battle where David should have been. And now it's going to be revealed because you can't really hide that. We've had four children. You can't really hide when you're expecting a child. And so... David has to come up with a plan. He says, you know what? I've got, I've got a great idea. I'm going to have Uriah come back. I'm going to send him home so that he can spend time with his wife, perform the manly duties there, husband and wife, and then he will think that it's his child. And our secret is safe. But Uriah had more character than David did. And Uriah said, how can I do this, king, when all of your people are out here sleeping in the field because they're battling for you? Wow. And so David 
gets Uriah drunk, the Bible says. Now he's doing things to hide the secret. And he says, now Uriah, go home and be with your wife. And Uriah, they find him sleeping outside again. He's not going to do it. And David's thinking, man, this secret's going to come out. The secret's going to come out. Everyone's going to know. Everyone's going to know what their king did. How they're going to respect me. Everyone's going to know about this secret. And he's one of my mighty men. So he calls someone over and he says, I want you to deliver a message to Joab, who's the captain of his army. And he says, when you go out to battle, I want you to take Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, and I want you to put him at the hottest part of the battle where like the Navy SEALs of the, other, uh, of the, uh, of the enemy are, and then I want you to back your men up just a little bit. Joab doesn't even question this, and he does it. And Uriah dies. And Joab grabs the servant and he says, now look, I need you to go back. And, and by the way, who David used to give that message to Joab about killing Uriah was Uriah. He put the message sentencing him to death in Uriah's hand. Harming other people to keep his secret. And so now Joab says, I want you to go back and talk to David. And you're going to have to tell him that we lost some men. And he's going to be upset because David was a military genius. And he's going to know that we didn't do it the right way. And so you're going to go back. You're going to tell him this is what happened. But I also want you to say at the end when he gets mad at you, say, by the way, we lost Uriah too. Uriah died. And so the servant goes back and he, he's telling David, David, this is what happened. We lost some men and they died. And no doubt David's getting frustrated because he's thinking that was bad planning. That was bad military strategy. And the man says, oh, by the way, we lost. Uriah died too. And David says, well, these things happen. You go back and tell Joab that it's okay. I understand. And what David thought is, crisis averted. The secret is still safe. Brother McKay was preaching last night, and he mentioned in his message the title of my message. When I started praying about what to preach several months ago, two words kept coming through my mind. God just put two words on my mind, and I couldn't give out. And I, I really didn't want to preach it because I felt very convicted myself. When you preach, you feel convicted about things that you're preaching. And so as I began thinking about, what God, why those two words? I didn't have a Bible story to preach. I didn't even have a passage of Scripture. But as clear as day, every time I think about it, when I was laying in bed at night, when I was reading my Bible and I was praying, two words kept coming across my mind. You know what they were? Secret sins. Secret sins. Look at chapter 12. David and Bathsheba, you got away with it, right? Nobody knows. And the Lord, by the way, David then, after the mourning of Bathsheba mourned for her husband, and there was a funeral, and then there was a wedding. And David marries Bathsheba. Don't you think that their people caught on to this? And the warriors who knew what happened, who knew the battle plan was wrong, and who saw what was going on with Bathsheba, don't you think they figured some things out? But no one knows my secret. No one knows my secret. Chapter 12, verse 1, and the Lord sent Nathan unto David. And he came unto him and said unto him, There were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. 
The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished up, and it grew up together with him and with his children. It did eat of his own meat and drink of his uh, cup, drank of his cup and lay in his bosom and was unto him as a daughter. And there came a traveler unto the rich man, and he spared to take of his own flock and of his own herd to dress for the wayfaring man that was come unto him, but took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was come to him. So you get the analogy. We, we understand it because we're looking at it. We understand what David did. We understand that he was satisfying his own lust. But David, verse 6, verse 5, David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. Wow. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord liveth, the man that hath done this thing shall surely die. I often find people that are into some sins are oftentimes so much harder on it. The same thing in other people because the finger is pointing right back at them. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. So David's still thinking, nobody knows my secret. Nobody knows Bathsheba's secret. And then verse 7, Nathan said to David, thou art the man. Can you imagine that moment for David? When David's so mad, he's, Nathan, that makes me mad. You know what you got to do as king? I'm telling you, this guy's got to die. He's got to restore it. And he's got to take care of this thing. Man, this, this is not the way it's supposed to be. That guy had no pity. And Nathan says, you're the one that I'm talking about. <sighs> Unbelievable. Thus saith the Lord God. And then he goes on to say, God has a message for you. I anointed thee king over Israel, and I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul, and I gave thee thy master's house, and so forth. And at the end there, and if that had been too little, I would moreover have given thee such and such things. He said, I anointed thee, I delivered thee, I gave thee, and I would have given you so much more, David, if you just would have asked. But you didn't ask. But David, up until this moment, you got to think, he thought he got away with that. And now David's sin has been laid bare before God. And David knows that not only does God know, but Nathan knows. Maybe at this point he was still thinking, nobody knows. Okay, it's just a couple people. But then a terrifying verse pops out. Look at verse number 12. God speaking to David had said in verse 10, the, the sword shall never depart from thine house. You despise the commandment of God in verse 12, for thou didst it secretly. But I will do this thing before all Israel and for the sun. David, you did it in the dark, but God saw it in the light. The secret is out. Big secrets often come out. They thought nobody knew that they could just hide it. But it's so much fun because the Bible says stolen waters are sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. It's kind of fun to have a secret, isn't it? It's kind of fun to think that you're getting away with something. It's kind of fun. I remember when I was a kid and I, I went to Germany for three years when I was 10, 11, and 12. My dad worked for the government. And I remember one of my friends would go into the grocery store and steal candy. And say, you do it. And I said, no, I'm not going to do that. 
but he thought it was so fun. He didn't want the candy. He wanted the thrill of the secret. And sometimes it's just, oh, what's wrong with the secret? We're just messing around. We're not hurting anybody. And if no one knows, how bad could it really be? But they didn't realize they had broken the commandments of God. And David and Bathsheba would give birth to a son named Solomon who would write these words. Let us hear the whole conclusion of the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. You know that verse, but what's the next verse? For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Father, bless now the next few moments of this message, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Take your Bibles, go to, hold your place. We're going to come right back. Psalm 90, please. Psalm 90. I want to show you a verse here. I'm going to give you a couple illustrations, a couple thoughts tonight, and we will be out of here. Psalm 90, please, in your Bibles. Look at Psalm 90, please. I want to show you a verse here. Look, if you would, at Psalm 90, verse number 8. This is the Moses, the man of God, who wrote this psalm, and he says in verse 8, Thou hast set our iniquities before thee, our secret sins in the light of thy countenance. Secret sins, sins that maybe you are committing in your life, thoughts that you are uh, uh, thinking, attitudes that you have that maybe no one knows about, and you think, well, it's not really hurting anyone because though I'm rebellious in my heart, no one really knows, but what you don't realize is the Word of God is the light that looks upon the heart of every one of you. And everyone on this platform, by the way, and every youth worker, and every person here, and God sees into your heart. You think, hey, no one knows it's not hurting anybody. It's in the dark. It's in the darkest recessed corners of my life and of my heart. I wouldn't act on that. But God sees. And he shines the light. You know how he shines the light? He sends a Nathan. He sends the word of God, which is a lamp in our feet, a light to our path. He sends somebody to let you know, I know. Now, why is he doing that? Because God just hates you, wants to punish you. You know better than that. That's not what he's doing. God wants you to know that he sees the secret sins too. The ones that no one knows about. The ones in the dark. And he sees the secret things in the heart. I want to tell you tonight just quickly the problems with this, the principle, and then the path forward. Quickly, number one, the problems of secret sins. God is doing all of this to get you to repent of your sins. God wants you to be right with him. He's not looking for reasons to punish you. Anytime God chastens you, anytime God does that, it's to bring you back to himself, to help your life be better, not worse. He wants what's best for you. But you see, there's some problems with our secret sins. The first problem with our secret sins is that secret sins rot us from the inside out. They rot us from the inside out. And you see, the problem with secret sins is there's a certain power that goes along with it. Because after a little bit of time, the devil tells you, what if they found out? If they found out, what would they think about you? 
And if they found out, you, you would, they'd think this, and they'd do this, and so now you're trapped. And inside of you, there's this thing growing that is rotting you from the inside out. This builds up in your life until it just explodes publicly. We've seen it so many times in, eight, in 79 AD. The, t- the people in a little town in Italy called Pompeii. They had no idea that Mount Vesuvius was about to erupt. See, they had earthquakes there a lot of times. And if you read the history book, it says that they really didn't think anything out of the ordinary. They didn't plan for it. And so all of a sudden, that enormous volcano that had been dormant, but had been uh, uh, for a long time before that, but had been active and had been bubbling on the inside, all of a sudden it became a public out in the open thing. And you know who it hurt? The people closest to it. And when you have these sins in your life that are building up in you and you think, hey, that's not a big deal and no one knows, it's my secret, it's her secret, it's his secret, it builds up in you until when it explodes, it hurts those closest to you. Problem with secret sins is they rot you from the inside out. They hurt those closest to you. But can I say, the problem with secret sins is that many people don't see their sin as serious. Many people don't see their sin as a serious thing. Oh, it's just a little thing. Just something small. I I think the Bible still says a little leaven, leaveneth the whole lump. Sin is not content to stay in a little corner of your life. It will take over everything. It is a cancer that spreads. I am not a person that likes mustard very much. I will eat a Chicago dog. It's got mustard on it. It's delicious. But when you put mustard on anything, it mustardizes the entire thing. And so you better really like it if you're going to put it on. Because it's going to permeate every area of whatever you put it on. I tell you, when you allow sin... You say, Pastor, are you comparing sin and mustard? Yes, I am. Because I'm preaching, not you. Okay? My illustration... I'll tell you what, though, when you let sin into your life, it's, listen, you don't start out with big sins. No one is like a perfect Christian and then murders seven people. It starts small and it festers and it rots you out from the inside and then we see the explosion. But can I tell you, every time you see the explosion, there's been a slow rot for a long time before that. But you don't think the problem's serious. Could be something as simple as a relationship that your parents don't want you to have with that boy or that girl, that friend. It could be something as simple as someone that you just had to follow on TikTok. Because that's just such a spiritual app to have, right? It could be someone, you know, the Snapchat thing. You know, someone on there that you're following, that you know. Hey, no one's going to see this. It's a race, all that stuff. You know, it's not a big deal. Maybe it's just that Netflix show that's rated MA, but you know how to delete it off the history list. Maybe it's the app that you hide in a folder in a folder. And no one knows about it, but can I remind you that God sees. God sees it. Maybe it's 
social media in some form or another, you're following someone, but, but maybe you're not really following them so that when people look at it, they see that you're following them, but you always click on their page. Or maybe it's the secret account, the secret relationship, the secret show, the secret music, the secret life that you're living outside that your parents don't know about because you're really good at covering your tracks. God sees the secret sins. The third problem, and by the way, it's not a big deal. Every sin nailed Jesus to the cross, big and small. Third problem with secret sin is that it doesn't always stay secret, does it? You may be getting away with it for now. I have in my hand a cassette tape. Some of you are like, what is that? That belongs in a museum, Pastor Reynolds. Cassette tapes were the, were the new thing after V, what are they called? V, what's that? Eight track, eight track, not V track. What is that? That's like a car or something. Eight track. I was not an eight track person, but I remember when tapes were there, I remember CDs too. You guys remember CDs? <laughs> I'm holding in my hand a tape from 2001 from a missionary that came to First Baptist Church of Geneseo, Illinois, Brother Covenant was there. I was there. He knows who this is. Probably Miss Kristen was there and some others. But, we, but I was in this service. In fact, I went before I came here. I went to my high school Bible and I looked in it. And the man that preached this message, his name is on the front left corner of the first page of my Bible. He signed my Bible and he put where he was a missionary to. And he put the Bible verse, his life verse. I remember him coming to our church and preaching at our church. I loved missionaries coming to our church. That was a great thing. Years later, my mom says, did you, uh, did you hear what was on the news? I said, what are you talking about the news? Like the local news? She said, I'm talking ABC, NBC, all of it. And she listed this man's name. And what had happened was, on Valentine's Day, his wife had been shot in the head in her parents' house. They were 40 years old in Illinois. And immediately when this happened, the husband was gone and he was on camera at a couple places, but the police officer said, we got a bad feeling about this guy. He'd never committed a crime. From what I had heard, he never had ever been stopped by a police officer. I mean, he, he, was, he was clean. And before long, they figured it out that this missionary, this independent, fundamental Baptist missionary that would preach in conferences like this, years earlier, he and his wife had met a, a, a young girl, a young girl on the mission field. And when that young girl turned 18, they sponsored her to come to the United States to be a college student. And that man at 40, this young lady at 18, began a relationship. And he got so involved that he began writing things to express that he was so, he's going to be so happy when his children get to be raised by this other girl. His wife wrote in her diary, why do you hate me? Why would you humiliate me? Why do you want me to die? And so he went, he started searching things up on the internet. He started searching things up like how to hit someone over the head to knock them out, how to muzzle a Glock 40 gunshot, 
how to uh, a lethal injection. These are actual things he searched. Then on Valentine's Day, in his wife's parents' house, he shot his wife in the head and went off and ran some errands. When he was sentenced to 85 years of prison, 85 years of prison, when he was sentenced to that, the judge said this, you had lived a pretty good life, but you've ruined it all now. And you have given all the naysayers about organized religion a lot of ammunition. That sounds a lot like what Nathan told David in this passage we're looking at. Look at verse number 14. How be it because of this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. Now look, I know that every youth worker here, I know that every pastor here, I know the men on the platform, we could all share stories for a long time about people that you would say they could never do that. But they did. And they're in prison. Or they're suffering. Or they've, been, they've committed suicide or whatever. And you would think on the outside, how could it happen? I will tell you how it happens. Because it starts with something secret on the inside. That man did not murder his wife just at the spur of the moment. There was something going on. Another problem with secret sins is that it separates you from your God. Your sins, the Bible says, your iniquities have separated you from God. You can't hear God like you used to. Some of you used to come to the conference and man, God would work on your heart and God would speak to you and God was so real to you and you would just come and you would pray and, and you would cry and, and you would get lifted up in the singing and the Bible was alive to you and church was so exciting to you and prayer time was something you looked forward to and being a witness was something you did with, with joy. What changed? What took away the joy? What made God seem so far away? What came into your life? What's hurting you? Remember years ago, I went to teen camp again with the Cobernat. I had only been there about a year. And I went to teen camp. And the year before was when I got right with God. God changed my life. The next year I went, I had a problem with another teenager. Another, he was older, but he's a teenage guy in our, in our youth department. It was my fault. He was to blame for some things, but I was much to blame for it. But I had some bitterness in my heart. And I remember sitting in the services. Pastor Mark Swanson was there. Brother Coburnett was preaching. Uh, my pastor, his dad, Joe Coburnett, was preaching. And I remember after the service, God was, God was not dealing with me about what I thought he should deal with me about. God wasn't... You know, you know that feeling where God, it's just like bubbling up inside of you and you can barely contain like how excited you are for God? I hope you know that. And, and I remember going and, and talking to my pastor at the service saying, Pastor, I just don't understand like why, why am I not hearing it? And I'll never forget, we were in the back of that little chapel and he ripped me to shreds. Kids were, teenagers, I was a senior. Kids were walking out going, ooh, he is getting it. And I deserved it. And he sat there and he told me, I'm going to tell you something, Eli. He said, 
I was so worried about you that I am so distracted that I'm not getting what God wants to give me because I'm worried about you because you've got bitterness in your heart and you need to get it right. And I'm sitting there like, oh, I was just wanting some counsel. Can I have my face back, please? And he said, do you want to get this right or not? And I said, I, I do. And he said, you're going to walk outside and you're going to see that guy and it's going to make you mad, but you better do something about it. And he said, come with me. And I walked, there he was, and he's making me mad. And he walked over to the guy. And he was talking to someone else and he said, go, go away. <laughs> and he said, and he pulled the guy over and he said, so-and-so, uh, Eli has something he wants to tell you. And that was it. And so I'm like, you know, um, you know, uh, and I fessed up and I said, this is how I've been feeling towards you. This is how I've been acting. This, uh, I've been bitter and I'm sorry and I want you to forgive me. Can I tell you what followed that? Freedom. The voice of God. God working on me again. Why? Because something that was secret was dealt with. Those are the problems. Can I give you the principle really quickly here? In Proverbs chapter number 28, this verse was mentioned, but if you'll go quickly, Proverbs 28, I'm, I'm winding down here. Proverbs chapter number 28, I want you to see this principle here. Proverbs 28, please, in your Bible. I want you to mark this verse and look at it. Please look at verse number 13. Proverbs 28, 13. I want you to help me out now by saying this word here. He that what? He that covereth his sin shall not prosper. But whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And it cleanses us from all unrighteousness. There's a principle here that when you try to hide your sin and you refuse to deal with it, and it's secret, and it may, you may think it's small, but it never stays small. And you, and you refuse to deal with it, then God begins to deal with you, just like a loving parent would. And before long, if you don't deal with it, it gets revealed. It gets made known. But if you will deal with it, sometimes God is able to just cover that sin. I'm not talking about cover-ups. I'm not talking about you murdered someone and you, oh, well, I confessed and got it right, so I don't have to go to prison. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking sometimes God's by his grace, knows that you've been dealing with stuff and knows what you've been through and says, is able to say that's forgiven. But you've got to be willing to confront it and you've got to be willing to confess it. You don't cover your sin. You can't do that. You confess your sin. And by the way, there will still be consequences. When you get right with God, there still may be consequences. The man that, that murdered his wife, guess what? I don't know if he got right with God. Maybe he did, but he's still going to be in prison. You commit adultery. You're immoral with someone before you get married. You do drugs. You get drunk and drive your car and hit someone and kill them. You will still live with those scars. But the great thing is that you can have God. 
you can be back to having that closeness to God again. And please, before you do those things, which leave lasting scars, wouldn't you rather get right about it now instead of waiting? Lastly, the path forward. The problems, the principle, the path forward. The path forward to dealing with your secret sins starts with the path from your seat to this altar. That's where it starts. By you being willing to do exactly what David did. Look at 2 Samuel. We're almost done. 2 Samuel again, chapter number 12. Look what David said when Nathan came to him. Did he say, Nathan, how dare you talk to the king this way? Off with his head. Is that what David did? No, we're talking about a a man that wrote psalms, that knew God, but for a year of his life was backslidden. And a man comes to him and says, this is what you did, David. Look at what David did. Verse number 13, and David said to Nathan, I've sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also hath put away or forgiven thy sin. Thou shalt not die. The longer you wait to get right about your sin, the worse the consequences become. So get right about them. Now, I strongly believe had David not waited so long to get right about his sin, the consequences would not have been nearly as bad. So what do you do? You take that sin... Just like we read earlier in Psalm 90 where the Bible says, Thou hast set our iniquities before thee, our sins in the light of thy countenance. You bring that sin to God and you bring it to the light. And you say, God, this is my sin. I acknowledge my sin. I confess this sin. And I repent of this sin. I'm sorry that I watched that this week on my cell phone. I'm sorry that I've been talking to that person. I'm sorry that that magazine's hidden under my bed. I'm going to destroy it immediately. I'm sorry about that music on my phone that that my parents don't know about and my pastor doesn't know about. God, it's deleted today, trust me. And if you'll take the time to bring it to God in the light, God will forgive you and cleanse you and restore you. Well, some of you say, well, pastor, my sins are small. And, And that may be true for some of you. But again, they don't stay small. But some of you in here, your sins run deep. There are people here, if, if statistics are right, guys and maybe even girls that are hooked on pornography. There are guys and girls that you've had feelings about the gender that you are. You don't know what to do with that. There, there are people in here that have probably been drunk before. You've done drugs, maybe you've tried weed or something. Who knows? Maybe you're in deep into something. Maybe you've already crossed some boundaries with someone of the opposite gender. And maybe you've already crossed some lines that you know you shouldn't have crossed. What I want to say to you is you still bring that to God. And you still get right. And maybe for some of you, it may involve getting a lot of help. And you go to somebody. And you go to your youth leader. Or you go to your pastor. Or you go to your parents and you say, this is too big. Well, what would they think about me? They will respect you. And they will say, I'm glad you told me because I knew something was going on. And we're here to love you and help you. Can I speak to the youth leaders for 60 seconds? Look in your Bibles, please, at verse number 15. 
Notice what Nathan did. Nathan comes and he gives the message and Nathan departed unto his house. Wow. So wait a minute, you're, you're telling me that Nathan didn't stick around every day to remind David of his sin? You mean to tell me that when David got right, in, Nathan came and said, get right. David said, I'm getting right. You mean to tell me that Nathan didn't come back the ne next day and say, by the way, don't forget what you did with Bathsheba. I haven't forgotten. Youth leader, if you've got a teenager coming to you and you, they have the bravery to come tell you about something they're dealing with, don't you dare. Lord it over their heads. Don't you dare. Bring it back up. You deal with it biblically and you move on. You give them judgment, but you give them mercy. You know why? Because you've been a David too. And because you've been in that spot and somebody showed you mercy. I'm not mad at you. I'm just helping you. Teenagers, by the way, let me say this. After David got right, was God through with David? He wasn't through with David. David wrote Psalm 51. David wrote Psalm, I think it's 35. I can't remember the, the exact one, or 38. David wrote many other Psalms. David had more children. David did more. God still used him. And if you have some things in your life, deal with them now. God will still use You say, well, how do I know God wants to use me? Are you breathing? Then God wants to use you. Did, did David hate Nathan for what he did? No, he named a son after Nathan. And by the way, that was the lineage that Joseph, of Jesus, Jesus' stepfather there, that was the lineage of Christ. God still used it. Be thankful, teenager, that you have a youth pastor, youth pastor's wife, a mom, a dad, a grandfather, grandmother, aunt, uncle, pastor, whatever. Be thankful you have some Nathans in your life that love you enough to be honest with you. Can I just say this? We're here for you. We, we're here for you. I am, I am rooting you on. I know what it is to grow up with a lot of regrets because of secret sins. I know what it is to have the misery and turmoil inside. I, 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 and we all do. We all do. I'm not going to, and by the way, just because I say bring your sins to life, that doesn't mean you have to confess every sin to every person here. That's ridiculous. But if God's dealing with you and it's too big for you, and it usually is, then you get help. We're here for you. We love you. And, but the difference is there are some in here that are dealing with their secret sins. And there are some that are reveling in them. And some of you, you're headed for a David-like intervention with God. And I don't want that for you. I want, your seek, I want you to be able to be close to God again. And to have that freedom again this evening. What secret sin is God shining the light on in your heart right now? For you, it may be something small. A TV show. A relationship. A habit. A lack of a good habit. Character issue. Something to do with social media because there's so many ways to be evil on social media. And God is shining a light, saying, I love you. Please come back to me. Are you willing? Are you brave enough to say, God, I'm ready to deal with my secret sins right now?
Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.